Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is the writer Jane Fallon. She's just published her ninth novel, Just Got Real, and her journey to literary fame seems particularly relevant to our Midpoint community. She always knew she had a story in her, as they say, and as a child imagined a life as a writer, but it took a few other careers to get there, and it wasn't until she was 46 that she published her debut novel, Getting Rid of Matthew. She's been with her other half, Ricky Gervais, since her early 20s, so she dips into his glamorous world occasionally, popping onto red carpets and into gala dinners, but she knows that's not the real story, having worked in TV for a long time before she was published. So, dear Midpoint listener, I've got to be honest with you, I was a little bit paranoid about not wanting this to be about her globally famous boyfriend. So at one point, I actually called him her partner, not even Ricky. And when I listened back, it felt as if I might have been overcompensating somewhat. Anyway, I thought I'd be honest with you. Um, As I'm about to publish my first book at 49 years old, which is called The First Half, since you ask, I was fascinated to hear her story. And if you've got a project or ambition, it might not be a book, it could be something completely different that you really want to do, something that's been burning inside you your whole life. Well, hopefully Jane might inspire you too. About 15 years ago, I remember meeting you at the Inns of Court, bizarrely. You were doing something for a charity that I used to do a lot with, Sparks. Is that That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. You were hosting. Yes. And it was a kind of book night, like a Sparks book night. That's right. And, and I think that's the, physically the only time I've ever met you. But I'm guilty of that thing that um, people do with me quite a lot as well, where because I follow you on social media as well, I feel like I know a lot more about you and I feel like I know you. Um, and then also reading your books, I suppose people do that thing where they think there's bits of you in all the characters as well. Do you, do you find that with your readers? Yeah, that's definitely true. People are always asking me, um, are they based on me? And I always say to people, well, I, I started off on EastEnders. So can you imagine like writing storylines for EastEnders? So can you imagine if I was only drawing from my own life? Imagine what I would have been through by now. But it is inevitable. I think there are little bits of me in all my characters and I would say probably Joni in my last book Just Got Real is the closest to me that I've ever written because she's quite closed off emotionally which I tend to be or seem like I am anyway and she's sort of quite insular the way she's most like me I think is that she uses working out as therapy which I totally do it's totally the way to keep my mental health in check so I kind of really enjoyed writing I made herself like a nicer version of me a version of me I'd like to be it's funny because at the beginning of the book I thought oh how am I going to have any empathy for this character because she was doing something at the very beginning that wasn't very wasn't kind of in my moral compass do you know what I mean I was thinking oh no how how is she somebody and then something happens and we, we we begin to like her more I think as a reader you know you start to get more empathy for her but I very quickly thought she was 
a little bit of you because the one thing as well that I mean, we could talk about fitness and health in midlife and um, you talk about her arms being great and you've got great arms and um, and you're actually hey there they are the gun show um, and uh, and I love you know I love the fact that um, you're actually 12 years older than her so your arms are incredible and um, you know you're 61 and your arms 61. you have the arms of a, a 28 year old um, <laughs> so I'll take that um and and she also as you say she she works out a lot so i I kind of jumping to fitness and health already then which um i was going to get onto i guess that is something you've already alluded to it as being a a mental health thing but in terms of midlife and coping with you know changes that happen in life and going through your 50s was that something that you found you increased was it was it always it always been there in your life working out it's always kind of been there i lost it a bit in my 30s and 40s i was a really sporty child I did kind of refine it when I hit my 50s. I think, you know, you do hit that phase where suddenly you think, oh, actually, everything's going to go a bit south. And the thing for me, actually, that that got me back into it was I tried, I used to do gymnastics when I was a kid, like we all did. And I tried to do a cartwheel when I was uh, somewhere in my late 40s and I was too scared. I couldn't do it. And I thought, oh, no, I'm way too young to be too scared to do that and feel like I'm not strong enough. So I took up yoga and that was my first sort of step back into really, really embracing fitness as opposed to just doing the old little gym session here and there. So I did that, obviously got my cartwheel back. And from there, I just, once I'd done yoga for a while, I realized suddenly it was easy to start running. And I think in your fifties, you, I kind of really enjoy being older, but the one aspect of it I don't really like is that I feel like my body is falling apart a bit. And, you know, you get to that stage where you realize you've got to work out a lot more than you ever did to be in slightly worse shape than you ever were before. And, uh, so I just I started doing that because it made me feel better about myself. And then, like you say, the mental health kind of side of it kicks mm. in. And and I just love it. I really I enjoy so much just seeing what I can make my body do. Mm. It's it, I feel really lucky that I've never not done it, you know, because it would be awful. Well, it feels like it would be a massive effort to start kind of from nothing in your 40s, 50s. However, having said that, people I know who've started off doing things like Couch to 5K have enormous success and satisfaction from doing it. And I always say it's never too late to start. But I think I've probably subliminally always known the benefits for mental health. You know, when I I was a I was a high performance gymnast. And when I stopped um, competing at the age of 17 and started running, I, I had this eureka moment one day where I was lying on the floor doing sit ups in my bedroom at home thinking, this is for life now. Like this is, you know, it wasn't for a competition or an yes, end game, you yes, know. Of course. And I think it's almost getting into that idea that this is part of your life, not actually setting a kind of, oh, I'm going to run this marathon and then that's it. Or I'm going to lose a, a stone and that's it. It has to become part of you, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah. And I completely, I, I organise my whole life around it, really. Every time I put things in my diary, I'm thinking, OK, so what time can I work out that day? just because I know I'm going to want to. I, yeah. I almost, even if sometimes I, I have a trainer twice a week and sometimes I wake up in the morning and think, oh, I don't know if I can face it today. I would never cancel. I know the second I start mm. it, I'm going to absolutely love it. And I wish I'd had that realization early on because the one thing that I found I haven't managed to get back is my flexibility actually, because oh, I stopped really? for that sort of period of time Yeah. Um, in my 30s and 40s. And, and so I work on it quite a lot, but I just, I can't. I'm nowhere near as supple as I was. Yeah, that's my. Um, I'm I'm 49. I'm the same age as Joni, and um, and I I have this kind of. I'm going to be still be able to do splits at 60. That's what I've always yes, said. That's a good but one. I said that from the age of 20. So now I need to move it to 70. I think because it's kind of it's coming very really really quickly. Yeah. Did you find Did you find your 50s went really quickly? It feels like the decades move quicker and quicker and quicker. Every decade seems to go. Yeah, well, I think that's true, isn't it? Older people always say that to you, or you know, you won't appreciate how kind of 
how quickly things will go in the end. And I do feel like that. I do feel like I cantered through my 50s. And, you know, the first half I found a bit, I didn't mind being 50 in the slightest. I don't mind the principle of aging, but I did get slightly sideswiped by the menopause at the beginning of my 50s. And I first couple of years were a bit tough. I mean, they were incredibly sweaty as well. And I didn't quite know how to negotiate my way through it. But actually, once I sorted that out, I went and I'm on bioidentical HRT and that's really helped. And um, yeah, then I really enjoyed them and they did kind of canter through. And because I'd had this weird mid-career about turn when I was in my, uh, I think I was 46 when my first book was published. So I was still kind of riding off the back of that. I was still high off the back of that happening, really. I want to talk about that, but I also just on the menopause, I'm on bioidenticals and uh, the gynecologist that I see is really a firm believer that women should be on it earlier than they think because of perimenopause symptoms and the, and the positive mm. effects in terms of the heart health and osteoporosis and all the other things. Um, but it feels like that conversation is turning you know because I think it was always before the shop of kind of last resort you know what I mean when women got so bad with their symptoms then they'd look at HRT but it feels like we are having more positive conversations in the mainstream media about it um so did you go for a couple of years without anything yeah I did and I had this foolish idea well because I had a very bad experience quite early on when um I was in my 40s and I, I can't even really remember what was going on now but I had to go to UCH and I saw this male doctor and he didn't even do a blood test or anything, but he said, oh, you're, you're approaching the menopause. And he basically, without really explaining to me what he was doing, gave me something that I realized in retrospect was HRT. And I went home and I was really, really ill. I had the what felt like the worst period pains I've ever had in my life. And I just thought, I can't take this. It's obviously something to do with this. So I stopped taking it and I didn't go back because I didn't really have any faith. And I thought, I'm not, I don't think I am menopausal yet. And it was actually a few years later when I started. And so when I started properly, I thought, I thought, well, I'm not going to take anything. Somehow, I think we think we're brave if we decide to kind of battle through it. I liken it to people who um, say, I'm definitely not having pain relief in childbirth. Yes. I'm definitely not having... And you think, if, if it's there to help you, mm. you know... It then, doesn't make you but, any lesser of a person that you don't want to suffer. And also, as if a man would ever say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And uh, I had this kind of ridiculous idea that I thought, I'm not even going to tell anyone that I'm going through the menopause. And then... Once I come out the other side, whatever that means, because now I'm 11 years down the line and I'm not on the other side. Once I come out the other side, I'm just going to go, ha ha, guess what? I went through the menopause, no one noticed. Anyway, cut to about three weeks later when I started projectile sweating. And I, I put up with that really stupidly. I put up with that for two years. And it was hot. You know, you know what it's like. It's not just sweating. You're nauseous. I used to feel faint. And I would, you sweat from places you didn't even know you had sweat glands. It was just ridiculous. And, uh, so two years of that, and then suddenly the emotional side kicked in and I felt absolutely horrific. I just felt like I couldn't cope. Something slightly stressful had happened with work. I can't remember what, and it had completely tipped me over the edge and I couldn't deal with it. And I thought, okay, this, I can't, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be this person crying and shouting and throwing things around. So at that point I went, and of course, as soon as, you know, I took something and I felt better, I didn't understand why I hadn't gone earlier, but it is the stigma. And I think now you're right with you know, just people like Davina coming out and talking about it so openly and looking so fantastic. It's a much more open conversation now than it was then. Yeah. And it, and it feels like that, you know, like you, when I first started on it, because I was a bit younger, because two things I didn't realise. One, I had IVF and that can uh, bring your menopause on a bit earlier because you've already kind of 
your hormones have already been slightly tampered with. Yeah. And the more pregnancies you have, apparently, the later your menopause can be. So there were things going on with me that I didn't kind of think associate with it, but it was actually more to do with mood and my general kind of feeling of... Um, Meh. Everything just felt a bit meh, you know, there was no joy in things that I previously had joy yeah. with. So I was lucky I didn't get a kind of physical, you know, the, the sweats, because I think I would have run to the you know, the hills if that had happened and it would have felt awful in my mid 40s. So, um, yeah, just even talking about this right now normalises things, doesn't it? Yes, totally. Yeah. So um, your midlife career change, as you put it, was not so much, a, you know, you're not exactly putting the handbrake on one career and totally stepping off the bus and moving on to something else. It was it was a subtle one, I suppose, because you were involved with scripts, weren't you? And you were involved with writing. Telling stories. Yeah, exactly. I, I ended up going into TV, really. I went to, I got into TV by accident. But How was that? So I left university. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew that I didn't want to get on the bottom rung of the wrong ladder. So I actually did a lot of, you know, a lot of part-time jobs and went on the dole and all that kind of thing. I was so scared of ending up in a career that I didn't want to do. I knew there was something out there somewhere. And my poor dad, bless him, he couldn't bear it. So he would cut out adverts from the paper and send me every advert that he thought I might possibly be able to go for. And he sent me this one. It was actually, it so dates it. It was for a Girl Friday, if you remember such a thing, um, which was basically a sort of runner stroke assistant, really, in a literary and theatrical agency. So I thought, oh, I'll apply. Like, like I apply for everything. And I, I got an interview and I went along and it was this little attic-y set of offices in German Street. And the minute I walked in, I thought, I love this place. There were piles of scripts everywhere. And I'd always written, mm. English had always been my thing at school, all of that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, piles of scripts everywhere, you know, photographs of the actors on the walls. And I just thought, I absolutely love this place. And I didn't get the job. And then three months later, they called me and said, oh, are you still unemployed? And I was like, yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they said, well, the person we took on didn't work out. So do you want to start in a couple of weeks? So that's how I, so I got in that way and sort of learned about the industry, realized I didn't want to be an agent, but I loved the script side of it. I loved all of that. And, and so the obvious way to go was into script editing. And so, yeah, I kind of got into TV that way. And that I told myself would fulfill that kind of desire in me to write novels because I could work, as you said, I could work with stories. I could work with scripts and, you know, with fiction and I'd get it all out of my system and, and I did, and I loved it for quite a while, but I always still had this underlying burning ambition that I'd had since I was a kid, which was to be a novelist. And then uh, I think we have something like premenopausal hormonally go on with us females because I, there was somehow in my mid, I think I was 45, I got suddenly braver than I'd ever been in my life. And I decided that now was the time that I was going to take time out of work and write a novel. And before that, I'd never even told people that, it was what I wanted to do. But I just thought, no, I'm going to do it. I just suddenly got this real kind of it's now or never and I'm going to have a go. Um, so that's what I did, basically. I handed in my notice at work. I was freelance, so it sounds way braver than it was because I could have gone back to work <laughs> if it hadn't have worked out. But I thought I'll give myself a year and I'll try and write a book and, and see what happens. And it worked. <laughs> and you've been writing um, ever since and uh, knock, knocking out on average what kind of one book a year roughly would you yeah, say? Yeah pretty much yeah I think I've written I'm on my 13th now and I started 16 years ago but yeah the last few years it's been one a year and I can't that really suits me actually that kind of horrendous pressure that I put on myself. What's your what's your style then what's your kind of day how does it work do you, how many hours do you give yourself? So obviously I'm not that consistent is the truth 
But on my ideal day, my kind of typical day, I get up really early. I get up about five just because I'm a light sleeper and I always have got up really early. And I love that time in the morning. I, everything's new and fresh and quiet and no one's going to phone you. No one's going to email you. Everyone else is asleep. So, yeah, I get up then and I work till about eight usually. And then I go off and have a normal day. And then sometimes I'll do another hour or so in the So afternoon. you do your workout after you've done three hours of work? Yeah, well, usually I then will go for a long walk because I always feel like I need to. I've, 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 somehow I got in my head a few years ago this thing that I had to do to keep myself sane, which was walk, work, work out. <laughs> so I have to get them all in every day. So I'll go for a long walk and I'll come back and I, then I'll either work out about 11 or I work out about four in the afternoon. They're my two kind of peak times. I've heard you say as well that um, you in lockdown, you and Ricky have very different styles of you like quiet, he likes music. So does that work as well? Because obviously you're finished then by the time he's getting into his work. Yeah, exactly. And also he's asleep when I'm working, which means there's not kind of chatter and, you know, all of that inanity. Yeah, five o'clock though is very early. That's like the middle of the night, isn't it? I, you must be disciplined at going to bed. Yeah, fairly. I just, I, I was a lifelong insomniac until, until the beginning of lockdown. I was a lifelong insomniac. And so I would always get up anyway because my mum and dad got up every day, seven days a week, 4.30 in the morning with the newspapers. So I was just used to people being up and about. And then, so that was quite easy, but I was always exhausted. But then the lockdowns happened and suddenly I could sleep. It was bizarre. The opposite to many people. Yes, so (laughs) many people said the opposite. I think it was because if I knew there was nothing scheduled in the next day, there was sort of nothing to stay awake and worry about. <laughs> so the the idea of a lot of people listening to this, I'm sure, will think they have a book in them that, or some. It might not be a book. It might be something else they have always felt they wanted to do in their life. And you said there was a surge of kind of bravery almost in your in your mid forties. What would what would be the one piece of advice you would give somebody who's listening who wanted to either write or to do something very different and have a a massive kind of career change? I would say if you possibly can, if your circumstances will allow you to do it. Uh, even if I know I was lucky that I could stop work. Um, but, you know, I know a lot of writers who work full time and still write, which is uh, unbelievable, I think, and incredibly admirable. But if there's a, possibly a way that you can have a go at it, then have a go. Because if not now, then when, really? And I think you don't want to get to 70 and think, why have I spent my whole life doing this job I hate and never just given something a go? Mm. And in terms of ideas, obviously you had the idea for your first book and how how far down the line were you thinking, you know, if this goes well, I've got this idea or, or do they just come to you kind of in um, organically through the year? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, <laughs> the first one did, as I've talked about before, the first one did come to me in a weird kind of fully formed insomniac episode. That's never happened since, sadly. No, I never think more than further ahead than the one I'm writing because it confuses my brain way too much. I just kind of have to have faith in the fact that I'll have another idea next time I have to have another idea. And actually, the more you go on, even though in some ways ideas are harder because you've obviously mined a lot of what's going on in your brain, because you're more confident, because you've done it a few times and because you know that you can pull a story out of, you know, maybe what doesn't seem like very much, it kind of gets easier. It becomes more of a process than an inspiration, I think. Is it as enjoyable as you hoped it would be when you were a little girl writing stories with a secret desire to be a novel? Do you know what? It 99.9% is. And the other point, one percent is that, you know, stupidly, especially as someone who worked in TV for all those years and can completely demystify the idea of TV being glamorous. I never really thought that publishing would be such a business. And of course it is. Of course it's, an industry. it's about yeah. numbers. Mm. Yeah, it's an industry. And uh, so that side of it is obviously a bit more stressful. But 
I, I love it. I'm so lucky. I absolutely love it. It couldn't suit me better. And do you, because of your background in, um, and you've, your books have been translated into many, many languages and, you know, turned into scripts, you know, for films. So when you're looking at a story, do you, do you now think about the TV version or the film version of what you're writing? Or do you try to just keep it purely for the, for the novel in the first instance? I try to keep it just for the novel, but I think I have a tendency because of what I used to do I have a tendency to write in a sort of filmic structure mm. and I think also because of my years on EastEnders I'm obsessed with the cliffhanger I'm obsessed <laughs> yeah, you work on that show all you're thinking about is what's going to make them watch tomorrow so every yeah. chapter has a doom 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 in your head and then you turn the page it pretty much every time I get to the end of a chapter I'm thinking what's going to make them not be able to not read the next one they, well that's what that's one of the things that you're very you're, you're brilliant at and everybody says that as well that you can't you have to turn the page because you can't you know can't wait to find out what happens so that that is informed by your um soap opera background then is it yeah totally <laughs> And I love that as a compliment. That's my favourite compliment if someone says to me, I couldn't put it down. I can't think of anything better oh, they could say. Really. Yeah, what, what's the best thing you could ever say to a writer? That is, that must be lovely yeah. to hear. Who are your readers then when you're out and about and who, they come up to you? Are they you? You know, are they, are they women of a certain age? There are a lot of women of a certain age, but there are also a lot of younger people, a few, quite a few blokes, which, you know, for some reason you're always surprised as a female writer that you might get blokes writing for you. I mean, I think if you had to say absolutely typical, it probably would be women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that tend to come up to me. And you must uh, obviously have like a lot of the things you're writing about for, well, this, in this last book, of course, is online dating. And you've been in a relationship for the best part of four decades, right? So I assume you don't have lots of accounts on dating apps <laughs> normally. Um, <laughs> no. And I did wonder if I should set one up as research, but I thought, no, that's Did you not? I was going to ask that if you did. <laughs> you can imagine the trauma that I would end up in. No, but a lot of my friends are doing it. A lot of friends who've been in long-term relationships and have come out of them have got into that world, you know, older, yeah. my age or 50s or 40s or whatever. So you just mine them for information, oh, do you? door is yeah I can't get enough of it I really can't get enough of it and obviously they all know people have done it so every time one of them hears a story about someone even now I've finished that book they will still send me oh guess what happened to this person um so there have been some great my favorite one was a friend of mine she'd been talking to a guy for quite a while on the phone they'd moved on to the phone and he let slip one day that every time he had a phone conversation with one of the women he was talking to he would mark it out of 10 and he kept a little notebook with all the scores in and he'd top them up at the end of the week and see who it was worth persevering <laughs> Who was top of the pops? <laughs> so obviously that killed that one stone dead. But just stuff like that, I mean, it's fascinating. And even what you just said there is because I've been married for, um, well, I've been with my husband for nearly 24 years now. Even just the idea that you, you wait a while before you physically talk. You know, when I speak to younger people and they say they're talking, but they're not actually physically talking. What they mean is they're communicating via some kind of app. Um, that bit, I just, that, that also blows my mind, how long it takes for people to get off the internet and get into person. Yeah, and also, I mean, obviously in, in our day, you had a quick reaction to someone. You would meet someone and, and either your pheromones went crazy or they didn't. You know, you're, you're, you either fancied them or you didn't. It was as simple as that. And there's no way of knowing, I think. I think you could talk to someone yeah. forever on the phone and not know how you would feel when you saw them in person. So the impression I get from my friends is that there's a lot of wasted time really mm. and also mm. that a lot of them have ended up just acquiring a load more friends that they didn't really want or need yeah but not but the you know they'll go through all that process they'll meet the person and they, it just won't the spark just won't be there 
My favourite um, is an old nanny that we had who um, she used to do six in a weekend. She'd have a breakfast, a lunch and a dinner. So if breakfast went well, she'd take breakfast on to lunch. And if lunch went well, she'd cancel dinner. So she and so she decided it was a numbers game. Right. It was like kind of it was like a marketing exercise that, you know, leafleting apparently gets one percent return. So she was basically working on those numbers. And she's married to a guy who was a lunch date now. So she's been really? with him for 15 years. So she got rid of years. breakfast. Yeah. Met lunch. met lunch, got rid of dinner. And then, you know, kind of that day went really well and he's the he's the keeper but um i kind of admired her um stamina as well you know to totally. go through who that. could be bothered i could not be bothered <laughs> i mean just i find it hard to meet one person for coffee a week <laughs> stay with me we'll be back after this ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So those those themes of kind of modern life that, you know, dating and relationships and, and all those things that you draw on, you know, and you get your your information from your experiences from friends and from what's going on around you. Do you ever kind of worry as a writer that you're going to it's going to dry up and um, and there's going to be a day where you're like, oh, it's all finished now. I have, I have yeah. nothing left to say. 100 percent. Yeah, I really do. I really think, have I got anything else to say? And I, actually, what's been great is how quickly at the moment things move on, like social media and online dating and stuff like that, I feel like there's always some new angle on something that I can explore. But no, of course I worry about that. Or I think, am I going to just repeat myself? I'm going to write a book and then, you know, spend nine months on a first draft and realise I've basically written that book before. Um, so yeah, I just read, I read as much as I can, like trash journalism and things and anything that will inspire some kind of idea. You're calling it research when you're um, yeah. on, the, on the Daily Mail bar of shame, going <laughs> yeah, up and down, exactly. going. Um, and in the world that you you move in, because you have these kind of parallel lives in a way, don't you? You've got your your working life, which is obviously very, as we've heard, very disciplined. And, and, and then, then you do big, massive red carpets, mm-hmm. uh, kind of Golden Globes and BAFTAs and things like that with your partner. So that they're kind of, it's, it's these interesting universes that you, you operate in. Do they feel very separate? Do you have kind of a... A Jane, yeah. a Jane work and a Jane on show kind of face. Kind of. I mean, they they do feel very separate. And to be honest, I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful that I can step in and out of it. I feel like to be in that other world full time would be incredibly stressful. And, you know, I don't want people looking at me the whole time. And actually the odd time when we do do one of those big glamorous things, I kind of love it because... You know, someone will come and they'll make up your old 61-year-old face and they make you look better than you're ever going to look and they do your hair and you've got a beautiful frock and, you know, it's really good fun for a day. It's like playing, being a princess. But then I can get back in my sweatpants the next day. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of odd. I think because of all my work in TV, I'd sort of been around celebrities quite a lot, which I'm grateful for because it means I wasn't phased once it started happening to him and I wasn't, intimidated by the world you know like I said to you before I knew it wasn't this really glamorous world people work really hard in tv um you know the hours they work are insane and and so I think that helped a lot with me sort of being able to fit in and not feel intimidated by it and also I imagine resisting offers 
to take you deeper into that world. You must, yeah. you know, you must turn down a lot of things which would see you immersed much more and lose a lot more of your privacy, which you've managed to really hold on to. Yeah, exactly. And I turned them down partly for that reason and partly because I'm just scared of making an idiot of myself. You know, I don't want to go on some competition celebrity reality. I mean, I've done Pointless, which is great fun. But, um, you know, I don't want to be out there making an idiot of myself and then wishing I hadn't done it. And then it's, uh, no. <laughs> At 61 years old, do you feel kind of now, I've done everything I kind of want to do. I don't need to push myself into areas to feel uncomfortable. or Because I'm definitely going through the phase of feeling like I want to keep doing things that make me feel quite uncomfortable. But I don't know if that's an age thing. Yeah, I think it might be. I sort of feel like I should be, but I am. I am very much in my comfort zone. The only one thing that I'm obsessed with doing at the moment is reconquering the handstand, but that's about as uncomfortable as I'm prepared to get, I think, at this stage. You know, I, t I turn down things these days like going and, and trawling around and doing a book tour in America and, and stuff like that because I just I just don't think feel like that's what my life is at the moment. And I feel like I'd say yes to it and get very excited and then I'd think, what the hell have I done? And I'd be really miserable. So I, I kind of know my limits, I think. And that's changed from when you were a younger woman, has it? Yeah, we'll go off the pair of us. But, um, you know, I used to love going away to work and stuff like that. And now I just think, no, I like, I just really like where I am. And um, it's quite boring. But, you know, I like being at home with the cat. <laughs> well, the... well, no, because obviously Ricky regularly posts pictures of you on your own saying Jane and all her friends. Um, how much of that is, is him being completely facetious? And how much of a hermit well, are you then in terms of like socialization? And I've got work, and we've all got worse during the lockdowns, I think. And it sort of played to my weaknesses. Um, because it, yeah. I think that's part of the reason I slept so well. I was like, I don't need to see anyone. I love it. I don't need to see, I've got an excuse for absolutely everything. Do your friends take offense at this attitude, Jane? <laughs> no, the one, the ones I've still got, um, are the ones who accept it and are used to it. And, uh, and they're completely fine with it. And, you know, there are people that I would see anytime. What, what are you like about people who just knock on the door? Like a mate? Oh no, I don't answer. <laughs> I don't answer. <laughs> Never. You just peer through the letterbox. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If I'm not expecting you, don't come around. It's so that's such a British thing, though. We've got some neighbours who we're very friendly with who are South African, and he always jokes that, like, we English have to organise everything to the nth degree. Like, if we're going to have dinner, I say, oh, it's three months' time, and it'll be at eight o'clock. And he's like, yes. in South Africa, people just turn up with a piece of, you know, meat and a bunch of flowers and a bottle of wine and go, let's cook. You know what I mean? And they kind of just yeah. get on with it. But um, I, yeah, I think increasingly the idea that somebody would just turn up at your door and say hi, um, let's have yeah. let's have a cup of tea no, <laughs> no book it in no. um so you are also um you seem to get a lot of comfort as well as as well as exercise from nature and from animals and mm -hmm. from being kind of you know i think a lot of people who follow you will have loved the the um the growth of the foxes the family mm -hmm. of foxes in your garden and um and obviously you you both talk a lot about animal rights and how much does nature kind of um nourish you do you think oh huge 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 amount i mean Oh, that is partly the reason for the walk every day. You know, we're, we've got hamster teeth on our doorstep and it's just beautiful. And you step out there, especially times like at the moment when it's very quiet or in the middle of winter, and it's ju it just refreshes your soul. It really does. And the animal thing, I just, I get so much joy from animals. And I just, I literally don't understand the way people treat them. I don't understand it. I don't understand why you just assume because something can't communicate with you in a way that you understand that therefore they don't feel anything. Um, and I, yeah, I love spending time with animals. I mean, I did as a kid. I, we always had dogs and cats and I would, you know, go up to any dog I saw in the street and I would sit in the, my dog's kennel all day and read. 
and I'm still the same really I think my ideal world it would be me in a kind of few fields full of pigs and wallabies and you know any old sad thing that no one else wanted and I'd just be really happy we have a really, I think, actually, um, very, very relevant expert for us today, a lady who is um, a life coach and yoga teacher. So um, her name's Mia Togo. Uh, we're going to bring her in now and uh, talk a little bit about the things actually that you, at the very top of our chat, alluded to. Hello, Mia. Hello. Hi, nice to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Um, can I, first of all, Mia, how does one become a life coach? Oh, dear. <laughs> I started 30 years ago <laughs> on that journey. Um, I studied psychology at UCLA and, yeah, did a, a deep dive into therapy and self-reflection. I was a professional dancer back in the 80s, wow. so struggled with some of the typical things, body image and worthiness. And so I, had, I made a pact with myself at a young age to do whatever I needed to, to deconstruct a lot of that. <laughs> and uh, now you are very big and a big exponent of kind of midlife movement, basically. And we were talking about this, Jane and I, at the very beginning of the of the episode about how important it is in terms of mood, in terms of positivity, but also it's one of those things that you, you have to have as a kind of routine almost through your life. You have to make it part of your daily life. What do, what do the, your midlife people who come to you for advice and either for yoga or through um, your life coaching, what are the things that they typically come to you kind of wanting resolved? I think the typical thing for many people is feeling like they get momentum and then something derails them and they feel like they're back at ground zero or they feel like they are stuck in a loop of wanting the desire to move forward and you know go towards the things that you know light them up and they get stuck in this rut this negative thinking so as a wellness coach and as a yoga teacher it's you know connecting to your body like movement every day and really listening to what your body has to say because a lot of us were not taught to listen and connect with our bodies so it's consistency and i think showing up even when it's on the hard days to show up that consistency of being in some kind of even if it's 5 minutes just that consistency. If you say to yourself five minutes, I think we all, I think because we're all kind of nodding in agreement, you never just do five minutes. You know, if I say to myself, I'm just going to do a 20 minute workout <laughs> an hour later, because I, the, the, all the hormones, the positive stuff started flowing, hasn't it? And then you want to stay and do more. Yeah, it, yes. And I think that's what I learned so much as, you know, being a dancer when I was younger, I love to move and I love to dance, but there was a point where I was beating myself up and it was more about control and domination. And I learned to connect with my body in a way that was much more, instead of the sort of master slave mentality, like you must do this, it, it shifted into, I want to do this, I get to do this and how grateful I am to have this body. And as I started to take care of it in a different kind of way, it's helped support me, not just my physical body, obviously my energetic, my mind, my heart, because in yoga, it's, it's, it's all connected. So as you get older, um, I think it makes life much more enjoyable. I like that's something I go back to is do whatever you can to protect your joy. <laughs> and if moving your body and feeling your breath is something that connects you to joy, commit to that. Even when you don't feel happy, because it's very different than joy. I think also something Jane said, which I totally do, is I look at a week and I'll, I'll if I've got an option to plan a meeting for 10, which means I can work out at eight and then be showered and ready, you know, I kind of plan my, my week around it. And I think it doesn't happen by accident exercise, does it? You know, you, you have to make sure that it's, you know, unless you're lucky enough to have 24 hours a day to do what you want every day, um, it's, it's kind of looking at your life in that way that actually you've got to kind of work it in, in the same way that you're at some point in the week, go buy food for the kitchen, you know, for the fridge. It's, it's all part of that. Yeah. And I think 
like you said, there's only so much time in the day, but I really do my best to not subscribe to that sort of time scarcity. It's like, I only have this much, but it's like, what do I want to do? My energy is my currency and currency is my, my wealth, right? My, the kind of wealth that you can't buy. It's the kind of wealth that you generate. So how do I want to spend my currency? And I think starting in the morning, even if it's five minutes of breathing, writing, a meditation, going for a walk, whatever that thing is to help you tune into how you want to spend your currency, your energy for the day is a really helpful practice and routine to get into. And if you skip it, like notice that, don't beat yourself up about it either and being hard on yourself for missing things. Jane is literally ticking all the boxes here because before 10 o'clock, she's written and walked and and breathed. And um... (laughs) (laughs) I I think you're kind of nodding there, Jane, everything that um, Mia's saying, aren't you? Yeah, totally. I totally agree. I feel like even if you can schedule in the tiniest little bit of, you know, me time, that awful um, cliche of me time every day, it's so important. Whatever you do with it, even if you do just sit and let your mind go blank for five minutes. But it's shedding the guilt from that as well, isn't it? That, that there's this idea that you should be doing something else or you should be present for somebody else. But as Mia just said there, I, I always try and remember that if I'm not feeling great or I'm not well, then I'm not going to be good to anybody, you know. So it's trying to kind of convince ourselves that that's... Because we were kind of, as women, I think, over generations brought up to be, you know, somebody else, serving somebody else almost, that idea. And I think it takes time to shake that historical kind of cloak off a little bit. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think I, I think I always used to feel guilty about sort of scheduling anything in for myself. And I think after a while you realise that isn't healthy at all. You have to just do something every day that makes you feel like a person in your own right. And Mia, what would you say is the bare minimum if somebody's listening to this and they're they're not really doing anything for themselves um, physically or they're not doing any breath work, they're not doing any kind of meditation or yoga. What's the kind of bare minimum that you would ask people to slot into their week that they're going to see a benefit from? I think any kind of movement that helps them feel good in their body, even like turning on the music and dancing. I don't take a dance class, but sometimes I just turn the music on and dance. And I do think writing is really helpful, even if it's a paragraph. Sometimes people think you have to sit down and write a whole journal entry. I I feel like we need to give ourselves permission to feel what we need to feel. And I'm not a big fan of the good vibes only thing because all vibes need to be welcome into our experiences because they all need a place to move. So if you have something to move energy, whether it's writing, dancing, breathing. It doesn't have to be anything organized. It doesn't have to be anything big or, or, you know, (laughs) it can be very subtle. It can be just something that shifts your awareness to your center. Because so often I think people are seeking answers outside of themselves, which it's helpful to read the books, to go to the therapist, do the coaching. But oftentimes, you know what that answer is. You need to give yourself space and permission to, to attune, like put your hands on your belly for two minutes and just listen to your breath and what you're, orient yourself towards your center. Yeah. And I think also the the beauty of breath work as well is that it's free. You know, that's the thing I really I did um, a program called Freeze the Fear with Wim Hof. And the part of the reason I agreed to do it was because I knew I could talk about it afterwards and I wasn't going to be peddling something that was ridiculously inaccessible and expensive because breathing and cold water therapy are you can have a cold shower and you can breathe right now. You don't need you know to be a member of anywhere or join anything. So um, breath work is it's it's so interesting because I think, you know, anxiety levels are higher than they've ever have been across the generations. And actually, it's all down to not breathing, isn't it? Jane, do you do breath work? Only in the context of yoga, really. I haven't really done any outside of that. I started trying to meditate, actually, 
recently, which I'm coming to grips with. I find it hard to quieten my brain down a lot, but I'm getting much better at it. I'm trying, I think you have to practice. Um, so yeah, I'm practicing that. And um, and finally, me, I really appreciate your time today. Midlifers kind of, you know, start questioning lots of stuff going on in their world. You know, things are changing, families move out, p- parents are getting older, all that kind of stuff. And I know you you do work with a lot of people in this kind of age bracket, don't you, that, um, that are experiencing all those kinds of things. What would your um, advice to our midpoint community be? The, well, the takeaway is that you need to make space for yourself. It's sometimes there's this shame or this guilt of like, I'm being selfish or self-centered. But one of my coaches, when I was much younger said, if you know, the, the plane's going down or there's a problem, there's a problem. You got to put your oxygen mask on first. And a lot of times we think that's selfish. We, we put our oxygen mask on everybody else and we're left gasping literally and metaphorically. And then we're, we, we feel distracted and dis- <laughs> see the tail. disconnected. Um, and then we're no good to anybody. Right. So I think that idea is like, put your oxygen metaphorically on first so that you re- you got to resource yourself. And we have been very conditioned to do the opposite, especially as women at this point in our lives. And this is the time more than ever to really take your sovereignty back. Love it. Thank you so much, Mia. At that, at that point, uh, Jane's cat was forming a brilliant frame around her face, but with its tail. And uh, that's why we were, we were laughing at that, not, of course, at that excellent advice. Uh, thank you so much, Mia. Really lovely to speak to you. And thanks for joining us today. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Take care, ladies. Bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. bye. as well as exercise and all those things. It's like, I used to kind of pretend I wasn't having facials. You know, I'd, somebody would say, where are you? I'm in a meeting. No, I'm having a facial actually, because that's, that's um, I really feel good about it. It makes my skin feel better. And, but there was, a, again, it was like a bit of shame, you know, thinking, oh, well, I should be with my kids or I should be cooking or I should be doing something else for somebody else. But there's also, there's a weird thing, I think, with women as well, that, that people sometimes, women sometimes feel that they have to pretend that everything they're just like they are because they're yeah. like they are. So they won't admit to exercising. I don't know why, you know, you see someone who looks in fantastic shape and they're my age, they clearly work out, but they will say, oh, no, no, no. I just do the same 15 minutes I've been doing since I was 18, you know, a few sit-ups. And you think, why won't you? I work really hard, like really hard because I have to, because otherwise I'd be in terrible shape. Sorry, my cat's not <laughs> um, But I don't know why it's become a thing that, you know, you sort of don't want to admit. Same with the facials, like people, you, you, you want people to think that oh no I just woke up with my skin like this well you probably no don't. and I yeah Who cares? no exactly and I think um it is a um it's a definitely a truth that the very few people are lucky aren't they genetically to get to old age you know kind of uh, and look incredible and be fit and healthy without intervening in any way at all I don't mean intervening in terms of surgery but just yeah, just yeah. even looking after your diet looking after yeah, yourself looking after yeah. yourself and and being you know the best kind of version of you that you can be and I don't mean that in a, a superficial way but it just really nourishes everything else doesn't it inside you so um you clearly do work out really hard and um and have the arms the guns to show for it and uh, and skin as well your skin looks really shiny and uh and well is that do you think that's part exercise is a a big part of that yeah I do I think um that's a big part of it actually and also I'm quite because I'm allergic to so many things I'm quite lucky that I do leave my skin alone I don't put a lot of different stuff on it because it will bring me out in spots so I think maybe that's probably quite healthy but um and I eat a ridiculously healthy diet so have you got to a stage of life where you think that you kind of accept that it's never nothing's ever going to really be sorted it's it's an ongoing journey I think that's something that I definitely in my 20s always had this idea that I'd look into the future and 
everything would be okay if this happened or if this happened or, you know, and actually it's just a continuum of life, isn't it? And there's never a, really an end point of satisfaction. <laughs> no, there's not. And also because something will always come out and swipe you from left field. That's the thing. You can never really think, oh, my life is totally sorted mm. because anything could happen. So, yeah, and I think, you're, well, I also, I think when you're young, you think, oh, if I can, you know, lose half a stone, my the world is going to be perfect. Or if I rearrange my bedroom, then I'm going to be able to do my homework every night for the rest of my life. And, you know, and I think you can learn quickly, don't you, that all of that is bollocks because it's actually, it's the internal stuff that that it, you can maybe tweak, but then you can't deal with anything external. Whatever's going to come at you is going to come at you. you know. If you're unhappy, being half a stone less is not going to help. No, it might be good for your health, but it's not going to change um, other things that are going on in your world, is it? And problems that you might have. And I think that also then leads to a kind of um, change of pace almost, because I think uh, I think I did rush too much in my 20s and 30s, spent too much time kind of racing from one thing to the next and actually probably only got there a minute quicker. You know, that kind of idea that you're trying to hit the hit the beats. Well, absolutely. And you, you have a fear, don't you, that you're never going to be able to do anything. You're going to miss every boat completely somehow. And, you know, I certainly had that when I was in that phase of being unemployed and not knowing what I wanted to do. I kept thinking, what if I never find what I want to do? And, you know, I just live this kind of miserable life. But everything, I, I'm trying to have more of my mum's attitude, which was very much, everything will just sort itself out. <laughs> like eventually, as long as you can eat and, you know, ideally you've got a relationship that makes you happy then everything else is just going to sort itself and do you um are you quite good at giving advice to people then because you've got such a good philosophy on life do people come to you people do sometimes and I, I don't know if that's probably I often think that's because a lot of my friends are a bit younger than me and so I've got kind of I'm getting like old lady rights which is quite good you know I'm like I'm now suddenly I'm wise as opposed to a bit of a know-it-all um so yeah people I, yeah I think people do sometimes chat to me about stuff I'm, I'm kind of, uh, when I started doing this, one of the reasons was because I felt like, oh, we, we acquire this kind of wisdom um, as we're going through life, but we don't always acknowledge it because we feel like we're in a society which values youth so much, you know, and and so people are almost scared to impart that and say, oh, actually, this did happen to me. And, you know, I find myself doing that with my kids. My, I've got 17-year-olds, my daughter... Um, was she got her first boyfriend and she was talking about something and she said but I mean it was obviously different in your day and I said no that exact thing happened with me you know <laughs> and so drawing on that it's, it's quite nice part of getting old I think isn't it to be able to draw yeah, on experiences yeah. and and um and also looking forward to being a kind of really cantankerous old person as well who kind of uh <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah you get away with murder <laughs> um Jane it's been so lovely to chat to you and uh thank you so much for your wisdom actually um and then you've it's been a you kind of got off to a running start when you immediately kind of singing from the same hymn sheet with it when it comes to kind of exercise and how important that is to you and um you clearly are a very good exponent of that in terms of your energy as well so thank you that was a real pleasure it was a joy thank you thank you jane Thank you so much to Jane for being such an honest and open guest. And it was a happy coincidence that we had Mia Togo on today. She was a last minute change, but hearing her talk about the importance of writing, diarising and moving and exercise when we feel stuck, having heard that that is pretty much all of Jane's routine before 10am in the morning, I don't know about you, but I got a sense of calm and comfort from Jane's balanced approach to life. And I think that routine may well be part of that. At 61, 
Jane Fallon might just have cracked it. Thank you so much to Jane for coming on, to Mia as well, and Lauren Carter-Armstrong for producing, and to you for listening. And if I piqued your interest at the beginning mentioning my book, it is The First Half, and it's published by Little Brown, and it's out and available for pre-order now, out in the bookshops from mid-October. I'll see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.